Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for tuning into the show, Healers on Healing. I wanted to make this show because we can get caught in the trappings of life. Responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed, just all these things that take our attention. And to me, healing and being our healthiest self gets neglected. I thought it'd be interesting to ask my colleagues and other professionals what the heck this thing, health and healing, is. I hope these conversations inspire you, demystify the process, maybe reinforce what you already know, and give you new ideas on how to be the healthiest you. My guest, Rose, talks about her 25-plus years as an intuitive trainer and coach. Tune in as Rose talks about wholeness, integration, our intuition, and talks about the power of becoming aware of how we learn to get love and attention. Before we jump into this awesome episode with Rose, I wanted to take a quick moment and just say thank you to all of you listeners out there. I just crossed the thousand downloads mark and that feels like a nice accomplishment. So thank you so much for your patronage and for checking out these episodes as I put them out. As always, if you could support me by clicking the rating or even writing a review, uh, particularly for iTunes for this podcast, I would greatly appreciate that support as it really helps get the word out about this show. Now, here's Rose. Okay, uh, my real name <laughs> is Linda Rose Levenberg. I go by Rose or Linda Rose on my website. And what I do has changed so much over the last 25 or so years. But in the beginning, I made the claim of being an intuitive back when it probably wasn't really fashionable to do so. With that said, over the years, I've had to change how I do what I do. But I always stayed in integrity with, if you know that part of self, along with logic and intuition, that chances are you'll be making pretty good decisions along the way. But if one or the other is left out in the equation, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be triggered a lot and not make as many good decisions for yourself as you would like. I had the hardest time explaining to anybody what I do until I wrote a couple of books, which I was simply going to take all the years of being a workshop junkie and put it into some sort of system that I could actually make a living at naming myself an intuitive or calling myself an intuitive. When that happened years ago, I took the time to write a 500-page idea, which eventually became the mirror process. And then I wrote another 500-page idea as a tool called the spiral. And I'm dyslexic, so writing is not my first trump card, no pun intended. But I did, I got a ghostwriter and I condensed it down and I was luckily hired by a major government agency to train. 
So I became a trainer. And kind of by accident in a way, even though I thought these ideas were great. With that said, I started working with several government agencies and I got invited to go to the Washington Hospital Center to work with cancer survivors. So it moved from training doctors, nurses, therapists, coaches to do what I do to actually having workshops where I would get 20 to 25 people in a workshop within the agency, within the corporation, to do the work themselves. So it was quite a, quite a, a remarkable, I call it very fortunate uh, opportunity because I was in a field that had nothing to do with coaching or mindfulness or awareness, uh, self-reflection, none of that really. With that said, I became relatively successful in the DC area and with the private practice and training and doing workshops, I semi burnt out myself. I didn't exactly follow the tips of which I was teaching, which sometimes healers and teachers do. So I moved to California 10 years ago, just decided I would have a private practice. Now the model has changed. What I do is I, either people come here to my home office or I go and either live with them or they put me up in a hotel, like I'm leaving next week for Santa Barbara, so I'm staying in a hotel and seeing people out of a hotel. And what I do is I do a really deep dive. I spend a minimum of four hours at a time, like three days in a row. So I have 12 hours under my belt, under their belt actually. And I do a lot of hypnosis with most of my clients to do some inner child work. Some people like past life, whether you believe it or not. Some people want to know more about that. So I integrate the mirror and the spiral with hypnotherapy, really in search of who am I? From my strength to my shadow to a core issue of what I'm like a hamster wheel. I keep coming back to the same place, same thing to work on all the time. So. I try to balance and encourage them to be in their strength and at the same time look at how they are sabotaging themselves. And I correlate it to one or two major core issues in a lifetime, which takes a little while because we have many. And to narrow it down to, oh, I have a lot of fear around trust. So if that's the base, we can see how all the shadow parts are lined up to protect that belief. All of life's journey is really to know thyself. There's so much here. The heart of this show is, well, trying to sort of demystify mm -hmm. healing and what is health and what is, we can start present day and just stay there. You can bring in the breath of all of it, you know. Yeah. Do you feel your answer to that question has changed? What, what is your sort of answer to that question? Well, I think it, it depends on the person. Like if I'm at a corporate or government level, obviously, to be a better leader, a better teacher, a better role model, be a better whatever your position is in life. So that's like an area that you have to say somewhat surface. You can't go as deep as you'd like. 
But I would say probably 80% of my client base want to go deep. They really want to know the soul part of themselves, not just what we put on a mirror process or what we've identified logically. I think so many people have a deep yearning to, to know themselves in a way that they can understand themselves better and make better decisions. Probably one of the gifts that I give people, and it's an odd thing, but I give everybody the gift of judgment and the gift of being a victim so that we can work on those two archetypes. And through that process, to heal their judgment or to heal a place that they're stuck. So again, I'm back to the same mantra, I guess, is how does one heal themselves? And I would have to say, by knowing yourself at the deepest possible level, whatever that might be, through religion, through whatever venue they might encounter. I say to people, don't come to me. I'm not for everybody because what I do is semi on the tougher side to find the elephant because people say they want to know the elephant to cure it, to help their addiction. I want to know the elephant in the room so that I can make the marriage work. But people really are reluctant to get to that very deep core of self and to see what they're really, really afraid of. There's a few questions I want to ask. The first mm -hmm. one that comes up is, right, it seems there's a part of ourselves that so deeply want to know ourselves and a part of ourselves mm -hmm. so deeply defended <laughs> against it. Yeah. And I'm curious, just what do you make of that human yeah. condition? Condition, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting question because many people that come through are so excited about to show me and share and enthusiastic about the archetypes, the part of the personality that they like. And they haven't even a clue that there's a shadow there, there's a saboteur on board, there's a part that will just keep them in the hamster wheel no matter what. And then there's the other person who comes in with they're so wed to all being a judgment and being over controlling or a perfectionist or they're in shadow, they're stuck. And they cannot see much of the light and the love within themselves. They disown part, you know. So I think with that question, I think integrating the two is, is an opportunity. And then you ask the question, how, how deserving are you to be, to be yourself? And people hardly ever feel deserving. That's how why hypnosis comes in so handy, because if you can't, you're not after eight, ten hours and you're still pushing back. I take them to the couch and about two hours at a crack. And I think that's where getting in touch with the inner child is a huge opportunity for breakthrough. To be able to accept their shadow and their light and begin to integrate the two which ultimately that's what you want, right? Because the shadow never goes away, at least in my world. Tell me if I'm hearing this accurate. You know, the power of really kind of, when we say know thyself, in a way it's know thy full self. Know the parts of me that are great, beautiful, light. Know the parts of me that are sabotaging myself, that want to creep in, and uh, the judger, the victim, mm -hmm. all, of, all of that. And I think you said, and, t and this is where my question lies, that something about going towards the, the, the child within helps us hold 
that fullness. And I'm curious what what about yeah what is what is the key of that going to the inner child that seems to support us in holding the fullness well in my work you don't do the inner child work right away you you kind of have an archetype within yourself it could be the mom it could be whoever it might be that's really strong and powerful or it could be a spirit guide but when you go in usually you're going in to do some inner child work because there's a huge wound somewhere and there's a lot of things that I do early on to, to decide what that might be. So you take them back to a time when A, B, and C happened. And if you can have a conversation with that child, whether it be crying or yelling or pushing or, or whatever it might be, that once you get through that and you can invite her or him into your life fully, it's like I almost take them out to a poppy field and say, let's... Let's introduce ourselves to each other. And these are my strengths, and these are my weaknesses, and this is truly who I am, and I want you to trust me. But to me, to trust somebody that gave only the good parts of self, the child would be really curious about that because they're so intuitive and so smart. So I think that's an opportunity almost always when you get a huge aha healing from the, the wounded child that... You're so open to be okay with who you are and be as truthful as you can be. To add to that, I find that doing shadow work with the wounded child is where we learn. It's where we grow, where we discover the gem. The you know the thing may have to be polished up a little bit, but we find them. And that's why I try desperately to convince my clients that One's not good and one's not bad. This is who you are. But that takes time. It doesn't happen early on because people are caught in their story and they're caught in their judgment. I want to go to this statement of like the gems. Mm -hmm. What gems are we finding? Like when we do risk, and I think there is some risk in doing this work. Of course. You know, when we risk. Yeah, when we do the risk to, to go in, to discover, to heal. Yeah, what are the gems that often come out? Well, it obviously it depends. I, I had, for a period of time, I had a lot of rape victims. So when in hypnosis, I would actually go in and re, recreate. I would be the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. I'd have to realign myself, right? And so in a case like that, it's like the gem would be forgiveness. Because 99.9% of the time, a woman or a man who's been raped really feel in inside that they are to blame, that they set it up somehow. So to go through that whole experience of owning and accepting, and then if it's safe, and I do mean safe, and it takes time for that, to forgive yourself and to forgive the perpetrator. And that's like people come here who've been carrying this for 40 years. And after three or four days, you know, you finally get an opportunity if, if it works, to get them to that place of, I'm going to be okay. So it's like being able to move on from a very deep wounded place. One thing that I've been really fascinated by and asking myself this question lately, how to inspire people who haven't tasted it? You know, you, you used a, a very powerful example just now, of someone who maybe has been sitting in a rape body for 40 years. 
I can only imagine that person not necessarily trusting there's better out there, right? Right. But yet somehow you've sat with them, somehow they've showed up to your door, somehow they've been inspired to still go for it. Yeah, well, for me, this probably isn't the answer you want, but I only take clients who've been referred. I've never had anybody like off the street that would come in and seek counsel. Not yet, anyway. It is a good question. It's like, where does one take action? When, where, how? And I guess if I were a guessing person, if the pain gets too much, you seek counsel. Now, whether someone would come to somebody named an intuitive coach, that would be another thing. But what I do is so much bigger than that. Life gets really quite ugly. I, I have a couple of choices to continue on the down, downhill slide or start asking people, you know, do you know anybody I could talk to? I think pain is probably the number one. Or listening to someone's story that they had a profound shift I don't think it's easy to change behavior, first of all. So I figured if you get a 2% shift and one or two major things and you go, okay, I can see some benefit in this. I mean, if I have to ask myself 365 days a year, how did that happen? How did I know what to say to inspire them to continue on with me? And I don't have an answer, except I just don't know. But I trust. I trust. This may be my holding of what you said, but uh, I do believe there's this whisper inside of us that is a very deep, knowing, Mm -hmm. wise voice. Yeah. And there's something powerful when we connect to it, when we listen to it. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't exactly work the same way our logical (laughs) brain works, but they're a good tag team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And there's a powerfulness in in trusting that yes. whisper yeah. even though it talks differently yes yeah it's really a it's an interest i mean now there's intuitives and schools and all that sort of thing i i don't know much about them but back when i started this i had a group of about 20 all women oddly enough who learned the mirror and learned the spiral and want me to certify them to be an intuitive and i couldn't I said, you know, it isn't like, I don't know that you can teach it. I mean, I couldn't get to the place of certifying somebody. Like someone just surfaced from 15 years ago saying, would you confirm that I trained with you in, for five years? And I said, I can't. I don't know even what that means. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I'm going to cha- I'm going to keep my title all the same, no matter what happens. So <laughs> someone else, then go somewhere else and get certified to be an intuitive, but I probably won't be the one to teach them. You know, so. how, how have you seen this world of healing change? I mean, you have such a breath of... 25 years ago with 12 women on the floor in a circle, I would do some past lives and, and I'd, do all, I'd test everything on them when I was in school. And it was all new to them. I mean, oils or tarot or past life or inner child or guides or whatever. It was all new or relatively new. And you had about five or six great teachers, but not a lot. Now, I think the evolution is that people have so many more tools in their toolbox because we're exposed to so much. 
So whether you're trained as a hypnotherapist, you're trained as a psychotherapist, you're trained as a whatever it might be, you know, you've got, you've been exposed to so much that I really feel two things happen. One is there's too many on the market. And it's like, oh my God, everyone's got their shingle out. You know, that's scary thought too. But yet there's a lot of people who have integrated so many wonderful things into their practice, which I know you have. You know, it's a, yes, you're a psychotherapist, but you've got, I'm sure, many modalities to help someone to the next step. I mean, in a way, it gives me hope. Like yes. that, and, and I think in a way, it actually relates to the conversation we're having of, of health really residing in fullness, wholeness, mm-hmm. integration, mm-hmm. holding both. And so here we're sort of talking about even in the healing field, yeah. we're, we're bringing both yeah. together. Absolutely, and I, I admire for what, what you're doing because as far as I, the, you know, being online, whether it's YouTube or your own channel or whatever it might be, there's so much to learn. You have access to, to so much information and material. It's mind-boggling to me. So many people never, don't have a TV, don't want a TV because everything is online. And that that wasn't so when I started. It's like, that was not so. You know, I mean, had I not ended up at a university within a huge government organization, I probably wouldn't be here today. I might have stayed in my previous career, or I probably would have stayed small. The reason I wrote the two books is I'm dyslexic. And a core belief of mine that I was stupid because they told me not to go to college and learning was so difficult. And yet I knew how extremely creative I was and intuitive, really young. So I spent three years going through hypnotherapy school. It took me three years to get through because back then there was only two in, in California. And I decided to tackle this because I didn't want to feel stupid. And then I began to write and put all these ideas from all the workshops I'd done. I thought, I'm really creative. So now I've got stupidity and I've got extremely creative. What am I going to do with that? Well, let me make a business model out of it, an intuitive, creative, spiritual business model out of it. And how do I put it together to make money? Because it's okay as a spiritual teacher and healer to make money. It's okay. It took me a long time to figure that one out, that I could actually do both. All those opportunities can be taken as a plus or a minus. You can say, no, I'm afraid. I'm not going to go do that. I'm not good enough. Or you can give it a chance. You know, just keep chipping away at a direction which you think you would like to go. But I had something to prove myself, and I was so tenacious to figure out a way that I could be my creative self and not feel stupid. Bottom line. I don't think I've ever said that out loud. So you got it first. <laughs> Thank you for blessing me oh, with it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Very welcome. I appreciate that because I, you know I think it's apropos to just a place where I'm at right now, which is I've been trained as a therapist. I've been trained in this room, and it's great. There's a itch I'm having of of getting bigger, and I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm trying to just start creating, Josh. Put yourself out there. Just mm-hmm. chip. You don't know what's going to come. come mm-hmm. But none, none of it will come unless you put yourself, put out, yourself there. out there and yeah. try something. Yes. 
yeah, it's, and it can get really scary sometimes to keep putting yourself out there, but I think it's the only way to, to find a path that you resonate with is to just kind of be on the edge off and on, on that edge of not knowing. I mean, to me, that's the best place to be if you think about it in the long run because we think we can logically we know the next step or not really because you just don't know what the next moment or tomorrow is going to bring. I love helping people look at the creative side of themselves. You know, I mean, most people who come to me are very logical. They've made a lot of money, they're successful, and yet they're not happy. So looking at those parts of what puts them on that edge, you know, what, and for you, it's ideal that you've got a great visual of waking people up. And I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for you because there's so many people that aren't and that want to, and you only have to plant two million seeds and you're good. <laughs> and it can be done in one podcast. Or two, you know, and then see where that takes you. For me, I had to sit quietly and begin writing, which is like so crazy for me because I don't like to write. But when I started writing and putting thoughts and feelings and ideas down to create something to share with others, I got so in touch with who I am and what my wounds were and what I really wanted and wanted to get out of a very ego-driven profession I was in television and paid well, and it was my ego loved it, but I was exhausted and not really happy. Can you share a little bit more about that period in your life? Like what, yeah, what was that like for you? What? Well, I'd gone through a divorce and I had to go to work. So I got an on-camera job as the clothes doctor. My past life was to dress men on Capitol Hill and semi-famous people and then just people and then I was hired to travel around the country on all the major networks in all the major cities in the U.S. So I was performing on camera, you know, live all the time. And it was great, but after about the third year, I just went, okay, there's more to this. And then I went into news and television and I was kind of like not in front of the camera, behind the camera in a way. And again, it was just total burnout because I was only either doing it for the money or great ego satisfaction. And it's like the soul part of myself was void. Although there was a sign on my door, so if you want to talk, come on in anytime. That was a clue. <laughs> and, and so that's when I was inspired to just go to New York for a past life conference for a week ago. And I just tried traveling, you know, to explore all the things I didn't understand but yet when I did the workshops and I studied with various teachers it isn't that I really learned anything more but it was a mirror back to what my knowing really was and that to me was a mind boggle I mean I thought for sure I would be learning a gazillion things and I learned a lot but it was the reason I did all that was to mirror back what my own intuition already knew and who I was. So at that moment, there was like a click. It's like, okay, girl, go do what you want to do. Whatever that is, get out of what you're doing, take some time off, write a couple books, 
And so, oddly enough, I was a single mother and I kept asking for guidance. And I would hear this voice, go up to the office from 10 to 12 and I'll work with you. I'm going, I don't know who's talking to me, but I could be losing my mind. And at 10 o'clock, I'm in bed, I'm up riding carpool at seven and driving to the city to work in DC. And oddly enough, I finally surrendered into listening. And so I got flip charts and lit some incense and set up my office in this little kind of airy fairy wonderful setting and kind of started channeling what was coming. And so that was a big turning point for me is to listen and let whatever was to come to kind of flow through me and know that I was smart enough to create something of value. I'm pulling back something we were talking about earlier about riding the unknown, right? Riding mm -hmm. that edge of unknown. I think there's this power of faith and trust. Mm -hmm. What did you put your faith and trust in as you were riding that edge of unknown there? Do you, can you put it into words? Can, is there something that kept well, you going or was it just the drive of the unhappiness that you knew? Well, there certainly was a drive of, not that I didn't like what I was doing because I really loved what I was doing, just that I felt like I was done with it. It was good to go to another chapter. I'm not sure what continued to, well, I think once I, I kept asking for almost a year and I didn't do what I was told or suggested. So when I started doing it and things started flowing, I started to really trust that inner voice, which is myself or whatever you want to call it, that I got really excited about the fact that I was listening. And through that creative listening, I was able to create. So really trusting, A, that I wasn't insane. And there was something called intuition. And if, it, if there was such a thing called intuition, then I had it in spades. Why? I don't know. But I knew I had it in spades. Trust myself and the process. Oddly enough, in my own work, trust is my core issue. I had all kinds of trust issues growing up. And so I'm constantly working on that. And then, am I trustworthy? And then, I'll be darned if I didn't have to trust this voice that I was hearing, knowing that I wasn't insane. I'm smiling because I think life has a beautiful sense of humor. Yes. And in your story, I hear, right, child with dyslexia ends up writing... <laughs> And writing is how she finds her voice yeah. in, in some ways and wounding of trust. And here, you know, like there's these ironies yes. that there's life, thread, isn't there? yeah, yeah, that life throws our way. And it, on the face of it, there can be sort of like a yeah. frustration, like yeah. why? But I also can see someone having a sense of humor. I didn't think it was funny at the time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I used that at the time, but in reflection, I go, whoa, you know back to a term that everyone uses, you know, everything happens for a reason. But when you're in the season of the reason, it doesn't always make sense. And it could be very, it can be very painful. I trust that even that in the darkest hours, I'm not going to stay. And for anyone to have the tools, because everyone goes into a darkest hour at some point along the way, whatever. 
I mean, I don't know anybody that's missed it anyway. To trust that that isn't a permanent condition. However, a lot of people prefer to be that permanent condition. You think about all the love and energy and attention you get by being a victim, or pathetic, or caught in your story, that in some cases is really challenging because it's hard to say how might I get love and attention in a different way that's more healthy. That's the work, or part of the work. And for them to own that they're a victim or whatever it might be, and that they're getting fed, and that really, if you take them back to childhood, it's where they learn to get love, to behave in a particular way. So when you help them bust that believer's story, it's like almost impossible because they have no other place to go to get that sort of love and attention. They go, well, love and attention doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, it does. You have one child that will come in and turn the coffee table upside down and scream and yell. A lot of attention goes there. And another child that comes in the room and sits down and has a conversation, he doesn't get so much energy and love in a weird way. So we all grow up with certain ways to behave to get one thing. And everything else is a story that I know is a fact. <laughs> everything else I do or say is partly their story or my story, but that I know is that how is one going about getting love and attention? And I think that's the big piece of the healing. Is it a, a way to get love that really helps and moves you forward? Or is it a way of getting love and attention that triggers you and sets you back? I would guess that would be full circle on what I do and how I do it. I love that. There's a such a power in what you just said and in the simplicity of it. I'm touched by yeah. by those words and the way you put it. Well, it's so funny because for me to be logic, to go back, what I do, it's like I have to kind of like take a lot of deep breaths and just go into that part. It's not always easily translated or transcribed or explained. It's like I give people gifts of judgment. They go, that's not a gift. It is a gift, trust me. <laughs> I give them the gift of being a judge. I mean, a judge and a victim, both. And they go, that's not a gift. But I give them all those gifts right up front so that we get a chance to open up Pandora's box and talk about it. And people don't want to, or it's very challenging for them to think that they get love in a way that's not productive. That's a challenge to guide somebody through that. Um, I'm feeling the completeness of this conversation, mm -hmm. but I want to leave just anything else you want to add into it or, yeah, anything I didn't ask about that you want to bring into No, I feel like I've been all over the place, so I don't know how you're going to weave this story together. <laughs> but, um, no, I just wish that that your listeners really listen with an open heart and an open mind to whatever might be offered up to them to take a moment and a pause to really listen and see what resonates with their mind, what resonates with their heart, what resonates with them, what is their deep truth. And if any of your podcasts or any of your stories that you're sharing resonate with them, that they have an opportunity to take some action around it. You know, I think we're here to have fun I think as we age, I age, I don't think there's anything more important than really enjoying life 
and to do what it takes to remove or look at the block so that you can enjoy. Because it's pretty damn short. Pretty darn short. <laughs> For those who prefer darn. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate this conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your insights. And was... oh, I hope you can capture something out of all that. I am sure I can. So okay. thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you, Rose, for sharing your wisdom with us. And a shout out to my best bud, Justin Reed, for the music you hear in each episode. If you want to reach out to either of these individuals, there are links in the show notes, so check those out. And of course, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. If you're digging these conversations, please help us spread the word by telling people directly or through social media about this podcast. Tune in again for another great episode.